take five notes. They could be any five notes. You compare them with a brand as often as possible, as consistently as possible, and in as many contexts as possible, and you're going to get the recognition. You'll get the recall. But long-term, if we're thinking about how can we fuse this identity or sonic DNA, if you will, into other parts of the brand ecosystem, how is it something that's not just at the end of a commercial? How is it something that's part of a brand experience or part of functional sound? or used in a way that may push for certain behaviors. That's something that's far more intentional in design. Welcome to the Sound and Marketing Podcast. Today's episode is part two of my interview with Steve Keller, Sonic Strategy Director for Studio Resonant at Pandora. We talked about audio alchemy, blending sound science with sound art, audio archetypes, and examples of companies and brands that are doing it right. Yeah, I feel like sonic branding and um, like audio identities and things like that, it's not a sell necessarily. I think it's an engagement. It's to bring a consumer closer and um, more heavily tied to you, you know? So you're, you're committed. They're committed to you and you're committed to them. We talk about the senses and using this sense and this sense, but there's five senses. And I wonder if there are any companies or brands out there that are utilizing all five senses. That would be something interesting to... Yeah, do, I mean... Do you I, have I, any insight on that? Sure. I mean, I, I, think, there, I, I think there are a lot of brands, um, you know, particularly in the, the luxury category that think about their products from a sensual standpoint. Mm. I think certainly... In the automotive world, there's a lot of interest in not only sound, but also texture, scent, touch, the feel of something. And I'll, I'll say that currently, um, this idea of a multi-sensory experience really appears to be what's at the heart of MasterCard's new initiative. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anyone who's uh, familiar with MasterCard at the moment, um, particularly if you're reading any of the the marketing or advertising trades, uh, you're aware of a lot of what they're trying to do from a sensory standpoint. So they've definitely got a real strategy and and an intentionality around how they're using sound, but they're also looking at unique experiences. In New York, they took over a, uh, a large event space and partitioned it off into smaller uh, reproductions, if you will, of famous restaurants. I visited um, one of those, and it's very much a sensory experience from, you know, the creation of a look and a feel to transport you to a different environment, the way sound is kind of infused through all of it, um, the way they're infusing um, scent into uh, part of the experience. And I think the CMO, Raja from uh, MasterCard, uh, is really doing a good job of attempting to connect these dots from a sensory perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's smart, that he's not just focusing on the sonic branding component and the notes that are used uh, as part of their audio logo or their longer brand theme, which they just... Uh, released a single and are getting I heard about a that. album um, yeah. around that. Uh, you know, a, apart from some of those more sonically driven initiatives, there is a move to kind of look at this 
from the totality of a sensory perspective. And I think that the smart brands in the future will begin to, to look at experience more. Uh, and, and this was, to be honest, this was part of the angle that Charles and I took in the, the paper on healthcare, is that we can talk about all the patient benefits, but a lot of times there, you know, unfortunately, might need to be another carrot that's dangled uh, mm. for the adoption of these techniques. And what's happening in the healthcare sector is that they're looking more and more at where healthcare and hospitality uh, crosses. And so they're, they're focusing more on experience. What is the patient experience? And so we looked at the fact that not only can sound and music and an attention to noise in the environment uh, have an impact on patient outcomes, uh, it can also have an impact on satisfaction. And that can mean a lot in terms of, you know, the emotional brand building uh, that a, a healthcare brand may be trying to do with their patients who are essentially um, also users and customers at the same time and trying to build a, a, a multi-sensory experience that connects with them and does have a positive uh, impact on, on their patient outcomes as well. Yeah, and I think I my my father-in-law was in the hospital for an extended amount of time this summer or this fall. Uh and so I kind of asked him what was what was your your interruptions? Like what sounds really didn't help with your healing? And it kind of it went it went towards all of the things that I'd been researching, the things in your paper. It's just noise. It's sounds and it's it's intrusive noises that have nothing to do with him. <laughs> You know, so he hears somebody moaning from another room or he hears the constant beeping of this, that, and the other. And, right. um, you know, and, and his door is open so that their nurse can hear him and come and check in on him. I just wonder if he would have healed faster if more sound was kept in mind, um, things that would let him sleep and relax and all of these things. I think that there's miles to go, but I'm so, so happy that people are doing this. And just the fact of, you know, this is, this is ancient studies. This, this music healing is way, way, it goes way, way back. And somewhere along the line, we ignored it or it just kind of got, you know, sidestepped along the way for progression and all of that. So it's exciting to see what people are doing now. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, another benefit in this age of audio disruption, as I like to call it, where we're seeing opportunities for innovation with sound that are, are challenging us to think um, in, in very different ways. Uh, and so there are ways that we can test, ways that we can, can measure, you know, uh, Rachel and Arafel from Mindshare on one of your recent podcasts are talking about a lot of work that they're doing on the neuroscience side. And this is helping us kind of tease out what's the more anecdotal concepts around sound and, and healing, and what are the more empirically based elements that we can really lean into the science of it. To bring this back to branding and advertising, we're talking about these experiences and these experiences, whether it's in a hospital, whether it's in a brand retail environment. These experiences are drawn from the perceptual input that we're getting through our senses in all of the environments. So again, thinking about a strategy 
you think about sound not just in your TVC, your television commercial, not just in your radio commercial or the commercial that you're you're putting onto a platform like ours at Pandora, uh, but you're thinking about where the the customer journey is. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm I'm know a lot of brands who invested a lot of time and money in developing a consistent sonic experience of their brand that they're using in their commercial advertising and their uh, brand messaging, maybe even bringing that in store into playlists. But God forbid you ever have to call them on the phone and you get put on hold and all of a sudden you're in a some other sonic universe, uh, very often stuck in the 70s somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is an example of where if you're not mapping your sonic exosystem, you're not thinking about these places where consumers are are experiencing sound and it isn't just music it's voice and that voice sometimes is the voice of the person you're talking to on the other end of the phone Mm -hmm. it could be the voice of the person who's working in the retail environment who's speaking to you and so that's where you start thinking about wow there's a huge expansion here we're not just talking about five notes in a commercial we're talking about maybe training our employees in thinking about how they're using their voice and tones of their voice and the emotional impact that can have. So I think brands are getting better about thinking of this ecosystem, but I still think there's so much room for improvement in how they're using sound. Yeah. And I think you hit the the nail on the head too. It's, it's not just the five tones, it's, it's sound in general. Um, like just conversational AI that's happening now. I think that's going to fit perfectly into the spaces of, uh, you know, the, the ecosystem of the brands that they may not be paying attention to like the whole music. Oh my gosh, us bank, whenever I have to call them and I'm on hold, I hate that music. It drives me insane. And it like cracks and it's like, it's, it's too hotly, it's mixed too hot. And, but I, I wonder if this conversational AI can like, you know, as it as it learns what's going on with the consumer and everything like that, how it can help to tell that cohesive story with a brand um, and maybe even in just sections that the brand isn't even aware of yet, that the AI may pick up on it before they do. The interesting point that you're raising with AI is, you know, ways that we can train a conversational bot, if you will, to speak. We're getting so good at it. We're, we're in this uh, quote unquote uncanny valley where sometimes we're not able to tell the difference if it's a real person mm-hmm. on the other end of the line mm-hmm. um, or, or a bot. And I think that's going to uh, raise some really interesting ethical questions down mm-hmm. the line. You know, Absolutely. if we think about targeting, if we think about the fact that, well, maybe if I play into your biases, maybe if I use a voice that is something that's familiar to you in terms of a region of the country where you live mm-hmm. or in terms of a specific ethnicity, mm-hmm. if by loading the sonic deck, if you will, by playing into your biases, actually improves recall and getting the message through. What's the potential for that when we start thinking about sonic propaganda, about using oh, yes. this in terms of news or politics? Um, and, and so again, this is really fascinating. And I think this is where the space for experimentation 
is um, where as we begin to understand more and more the power of sound to impact consumer perception and behavior, it's going to be really fascinating to see uh, how we wrestle with these questions and then where we land on the other side. My first interview episode was with Patrick Givens from VaynerMedia or VaynerSmart, Mm -hmm. and he was talking about the ethics and the lack thereof (laughs) at this point because it's such a Wild West frontier right now, you know? Um, But I absolutely agree. I think that at some point people are going to be like, whoa, wait a second. We need to like monitor this in one way or another. Um, So there's probably a lot that people will get away with at first as they're experimenting and figuring this out, good and bad. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. I I mean, you know, in in advertising, that's kind of been what we've wrestled with Mm -hmm. from, from from the early days. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, there is a uh, a, a component of manipulation, and I don't use that word um, pejoratively. We're trying to influence perception and behavior. I would argue that artists do the same thing through their art. They're attempting to convey a perspective on things, and they may not be attempting to to change someone's um, mind, but certainly uh, they're attempting to relay a, a message in a way that has impact that connects. And I think we all have experiences of art where we talk about the transformative power of art in our lives. And I think that that there's a responsibility that comes with that. And I do think that, you know, advertisers and brands continue to to wrestle with those questions and will do probably forever. But I think sound isn't typically a, a part of that conversation unless we're talking about, you know, a particular piece of, of music in a, a political campaign right. or, or at a political rally. But I think more and more we're going to need to wrestle with, uh, with some of these issues. And I wanted to close on kind of just your thoughts on, um, again, going back to the, uh, the episode that I did with Mindshare. The thing that struck me that I, that I reached out to Rachel for was I watched the, one of their episodes, their web series, called Media Dystopia. Mm-hmm. And there was an episode called Sound as a Savior. And the interesting angle that they took on it, which I think it is true, is just that we have been overstimulated by visual stimulation. There's just so much visually to look at. And it's just, it's bright and it's loud. And um, the idea of going back to just sound, you know, in podcasts or streaming music, or even just sound advertising, it gives a, a rest from your eyes. So you're resting one sense and using another one. And I thought that that was a very interesting idea because I mean, I, I live very close to Hollywood. <laughs> you go to Hollywood, everything is very shiny. It's like it, you, you just can't see everything because there's too much to look at. And the idea of like silence in that space is kind of nice. So I was just curious, like what your thoughts were on that. And then kind of piggybacking on that, they also talked about how uh, the brain is a natural storyteller. That is their communication method. And to disrupt the visual interpretation and leave it just to your mind to tell the story, I wonder how much more effective that would be because in a certain way, the person might be selling themselves on whatever it is that they're being told through sound. Um, Break this into two parts. We'll talk, you know, first about the overstimulation, uh, if you will, the visual noise um, to kind of use cross modal, uh, Uh you know, sight and sound. The visual noise that exists in our 
environment can be very exhausting. And I do think there's something to be said for closing your eyes, for putting yourself into another space. And I think um, as we understand more and more the, the power of sound and to be able to use it in ways that really bring a different kind of experience to consumers can be uh, a reprieve from that. But there's always a cautionary tale because the pendulum can swing the other way where in addition to being continually hit with visual stimulus, combine that with being hit with auditory stimulus mm-hmm. all the time. That's true. That's very true. I'm doing a lot of thinking about this in the, in the automotive sector where, you know, as regulations kick in and electric vehicles need to produce a sound from a safety standpoint so that you don't step out up in front of a car because you're not getting that Mm -hmm. uh, sound element to know that it's there or coming. That's hugely important. And we're seeing a lot of uh, automotive brands racing to kind of come up with uh, branded sounds and, and ways to deal with this. But if I were to begin taking all the branded car sounds that I hear and multiplying all of those sounds and standing on a street corner, I mean, there's a potential for a cacophony of sound there. Uh, So, you know, how are we thinking in terms of the future and trying to use sound in a way that accents identity gets the engagement and the motivation that we're looking for from consumers? How are we managing that to avoid the same problem sonically uh, as we often find ourselves in visually? So there's that uh, piece of it. And then the other piece of it that you're talking about from a storytelling angle and the power of sound to engage us, to invoke memories, I think that's that's an important part. I think especially for, you know, I, I work with a, a number of different um, uh, brands in the beauty line. And very often these brands say, well, you need to see the product, the benefits mm. of the product, you know, what what's happening there. And when I confront them with the fact that you know, they could get across those same brand values and brand perception and build an identity sonically and couple that with the other benefit, which is, you know, very often with visuals, for so long we've been told, here's the standard of beauty. You need to look like this. This is what Mm. beauty looks like. And there are a lot of men and women who look at that and it's like, I don't look like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and we can go off on a tangent talking about those standards and and the stereotypes. Oh, I could. But yeah, but if if sonically we're hearing a description, it's a lot easier for us to imagine ourselves, imagine our own sense of what we believe is beautiful and who we are in that context. And I think what we forget about when we talk about emotion and meaning, uh, sorry, emotion and mood, which audio does a, a really good job of communicating. We often don't talk about how sound can communicate meaning as well. And, and so when we talk about sound and meaning, there's some research I've done around the idea of audio archetypes. Uh, you know, my background's in psychology and I love storytelling. And one of the psychologists, um, you know, fathers of, of psychology, if you will, was a psychiatrist by the name of Carl Jung. And Jung looked at stories, mythologies, 
all around the world. And he began to see how uh, across different cultures, um, across histories, there were themes and symbols and characters that seemed to exist independently. And so he, he called these themes archetypes. And uh, very often brands talk about themselves in terms of archetypes. They may talk about the, the jester archetype, the hero archetype, the innocent, the caregiver, the lover. And so they, they develop brand language and, and look at their, their brand purpose and brand meaning from an archetypal standpoint. And I got to thinking, could we do the same thing with, with sound? So actually did some research uh, with Daniel Muhlensiefen and one of the students in his program there at uh, Goldsmiths University in London, Christian Wong. And uh, Daniel and Christian and I tried to tease out this idea of audio archetypes. And as far as we could tell, this research hadn't been done. And rather than getting bogged down in the, the weeds of the research, I'll cut to the chase. What we found was that composers could actually encode semiotic information that um, users can decode. And that's just a fancy way of saying that we can communicate these archetypes through sound and have an impact on how we're interpreting narratives. So what we found was that we could change a visual narrative simply by changing the sonic narrative underneath it. And when we tested it on a neuro standpoint, we found that we could change where people were looking when they were looking at a commercial we could change the cognitive load how hard their brains were working to make sense of things we could change the arousal and we could certainly change appeal and motivation not by changing anything visually just by changing the soundtrack so this idea that we can communicate a narrative we can communicate meaning that's powerful because now we can talk about emotion, happiness or confidence, trustworthiness, but doing that in the context of an archetype where happy to a jester may sound quite different than happy to a rebel or happy to a lover. And so this idea of interjecting an element of meaning on this through storytelling, through narrative, and having a way of, of congruently matching a sonic expression uh, that communicates not just the emotion, but the meaning is hugely powerful. Yeah. And even just on a uh, much simpler scale of it, I absolutely agree that you you don't have to change the visual. You just change the, the sound. I haven't watched it yet, but uh, I heard about there was a trailer for Winnie the Pooh. Somebody <laughs> <Yes>. redid it <laughs> for yes. like as a horror or something like that. So yes, right. you, you can definitely change the narrative just by changing the the sound. It's it's all perception and it's all manipulation and it's not good, it's not bad. It just is, I guess. Yeah. It's the way we're wired. We're wired for sound. We're wired for drama. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much, Steve. This has been a pleasure. I'm glad that we were able to get this scheduled and I'm excited for people to hear what you have to say. Well, thanks so much for inviting me and, and taking the time to, uh, to chat with me and letting me kind of bounce around uh, all around the studio that I'm in, at least in my head with <laughs> a lot of these topics. And I'm hopeful that your uh, listeners will at least have their 
imaginations peaked, a little more inspiration, and maybe the next time they're choosing a voice or a piece of music or they're thinking about sound in the context of, of uh, their branding and marketing messages, they'll do it with a little more intention and uh, make better sound choices, literally and figuratively. That's my hope. Thank you again, Steve. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining us on the Sound and Marketing Podcast. Steve's insight on the world of audio is absolute gold, and I hope all of you gleaned at least a little bit of what he had to say. I know I sure did. For more of the Sound and Marketing Podcast, don't forget to follow, subscribe, and share. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and Stitcher. For inquiries on producing and developing your own podcast, or for inquiries on sonic branding and sonic branding consultation availabilities, you can find me at Dreamer Productions. That's D-R-E-A-M-R productions.com, LinkedIn, and Facebook. You can also email me at Gina, J-E-A-N-N-A, at dreamerproductions.com. All links will be provided in the show notes. This episode was produced by Dreamer Productions and hosted, written, and edited by me, Gina Aisham. Let's make this world of sound more intriguing, more unique, and more and more on brand.